Somebody even asked me one day, you gonna get in folks' business? Yeah, we're gonna get in folks' business. God gets in your business, and he's telling you how to live. And he said, you gotta be different. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. That's why we're not winning people to the Lord. We can win people to the church. We can win people to singing and to worship, but not to the Lord, because our lives doesn't reflect that. And Peter said, no, things are going to get tough. And when things get tough, you're going to have to know who you are. This is Jerry G. Martin. It's one thing to come to the Lord. It's another thing to take the Lord to the culture around us. It seems like the darkness is closing in on all of us. What a great time for the light of the Lord to shine bright in the life of every believer so we can make a difference in our world. Join us today as we encourage you, the believer, to take the light of the Lord to a dark world. Come and go with us as we walk in the light of God's Word. We've been talking to you about prayer and faith. We looked at Jesus' teachings in the book of Mark chapter 11 where Jesus said, have faith in God. He said, have faith in God, Mark 11, 22, when he talked about moving mountains. In order for us to have faith in God, we must know God before we can have the faith that God requires for us to move the mountains, or for him rather, to move the mountains in our lives. God answers prayer. Prayer moves God, and God moves mountains. And as our knowledge of God grows, our faith in him grows as well, and then we can ask for what we desire according to the scriptures, Mark 11, 23, 24. But Jesus also taught us from the book of John, chapter 14. We looked at that earlier, and he said this. He says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. If you have faith in me, you will do what I have been doing. And then he said something just to blow your mind. He says, and you will do greater things than what I have been doing. And I will do whatever you ask in my name. If you ask it in my name, I will do whatever you ask. And we said his name is not just verbally calling his name. His name is his reputation. Uh, what he has performed or what he has laid out in terms of what he would do, how he would function. If you would ask for it so that you can do the type things that I would do, like I would do it, with the attitude I would do it in, if you ask for some things to do what I'm doing, in other words, he'll say like the kids, I'll hook you up. Now, if you ask for it just so you can do your own thing, then you're on your own. Keep on trying and laboring. But having faith in God and Jesus Christ is vital to the productivity of the believer. And every believer should be productive in the kingdom of God. If we're going to do what God has called us to do, we've got to have the faith that God requires. If we're going to produce good fruit for the kingdom of God, we have to have the faith that God requires. If we're going to experience the abundant life, we have to have the faith that God requires. Faith is the substance that the believers live on. And Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith and not by sight. 
There's a difference in how we live. We can order our lives by what we see, what we can feel with our senses, what we can touch, what we can taste, what we can handle, and we can order our lives by that, but Paul says we. Who are the we? The believer. Somebody say we. Are you part of the we? He says we walk by faith. In other words, they walk by sight. Who are they? They that don't know the Lord. They don't have the spirit of God operating in their life. They who are not committed to Christ. They who do not follow Christ. They walk by sight. That's why when you talk to people who don't know God, they can't see what you're talking about. They say, you know, I, I just can't see working that way. I can't see what you get out of going to church. I can't see what you get out of reading the Bible. You know, the most intellectual people who don't believe in God and agnostics and atheists, they said, I don't believe in the Bible. You know what I tell them? I said, this is the most read book in all of history. Even if you don't believe in it, you ought to read it because everybody else has been reading it. If you're going to be smart, if you're going to be intellectual, you ought to at least read, be read up on it. Then we let the Lord work on it once he started reading how are you going to be smart? You don't even know what everybody else is reading. So if we're going to do what God wants us to do, we walk by faith. If we're going to get anywhere greater than where we are. It doesn't take faith to get where we are already. Some of us have worked and we've struggled and we've gone to the job day in and day out. And we've worked on these jobs for 10 years or 12 years or 8 years or 15 years. And we're just as broke as we were when we started. And some of us are broker. Because we are more in debt than we were when we started. They just haven't caught up with us yet. We're just trying to stay ahead of them. You don't think you're broke? Can you afford to be off your job and not get paid for two weeks? If you can't, you're broke. You may say, I don't know who you're talking to. I ain't broke. Right, look at what I got. No, it's not yours. They'll come get it. You'll have to start hiding your car. If we have to live by faith, if we have to walk by faith, then how does faith work in our lives? And I'm going to talk about how faith works in our lives and being fully persuaded in your faith. Turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 4. Because we can get a good picture of how we should function in faith by looking at the events in the life of Abraham, who we can call the father of faith. Romans chapter 4. There are some lessons that we can learn by observing the life of Abraham. So when it comes to the subject of faith, some believers have lived beneath their privilege because they've not been taught the biblical principles of faith, nor have they been taught how to exercise the faith they have. How many of you, if you are honest, have prayed to the Lord in the past and asked the Lord for some more faith? In the past, I said, Lord, I want some more faith. Why do we want more faith? We want more faith because we didn't think that we were receiving the things that we should have been receiving when we pray. And we just thought, maybe my faith, I don't have enough. So we asked the Lord, Lord, give me some more faith. But Jesus said himself that all you need is faith the size of a mustard seed. And you have to learn how to exercise the faith you have and that faith will begin to produce and grow. On the other hand, there are some teachings in the body of Christ that have caused some believers to ask some things of God and then expect them according to a specific scripture. They would hold on to a portion of a scripture and they said, well, the Lord said that I can just have anything that I want. Let me just ask him. And then they would ask and then they would say, I'm exercising my faith just because I'm asking. And then they don't receive it and then they're disappointed, disillusioned and confused about how faith works. But let's look at Romans 4, beginning at verse 17. 
This is the NIV and it says, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. This is God speaking to Abraham or Paul quoting what God spoke to Abraham. He says, I made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom we believed. The God who gives life to the dead and call things that are not as though they were. Verse 18, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Now, let me just give you a little bit of information about Abraham. When we are first introduced to him in the book of Genesis, his name is Abram. His name is Abram, which means the father of many. And as we see him, Abram is about 75 years old. And God began to prosper him, and he sets up his uh, camp on main roads, and he began to trade with the travelers that are traveling east and west. And people are coming to Abram, and they're talking to him, and these travelers are coming, and Abram's got great wealth, and whenever you have great wealth, people want to meet you, be introduced to you. And can you see Abram uh, being introduced to these foreigners? And they said, well, tell me a little bit about yourself. What's your name? And he says, my name is Abram. And his name Abram means the father of many. It will say, father of many, well, tell me how many you have. He says, none. We won't have any children. You're father of many. You have none. How old are you? Seventy-five. How would you like your name to be father of many and then have none? Because people's names meant something. A little bit later, God changed his name from father of many to Abraham, father of nations. <laughs> it got even worse. And he had none. And so every time he told somebody his name, he had to maybe look down or just think to himself, man, this is, this is uh, bad. You know? It reminds me of when we first started our church and somebody said, how many people do you have? How many members do you have? <laughs> you know, we had a radio ministry and everything, and, and somebody would just come and say, well, uh, how big is your church? I said, oh, it's big. It was big, you know. It was 30 chairs in there, 40 seats. And they would say, uh, how many people are you running on Sunday? I said, I'm running all of them. They would say, do you have a mixed church? I said, yes, we do. We have men and women. We have boys and girls. <laughs> Glory to God. We just had to keep on talking through until we made it. So here's Abram. And God comes to him and says, you are the father of many. You're going to have more offsprings than you can count in the sky. Look at the stars in the sky. You know, you're going to have more grandchildren and great-grandchildren and offsprings than there are in the sky. You're not going to ever be able to count all of your offsprings. And Abram said, yeah, but I don't have any. But we'll see in verse 17 that the first and most important things identifies the object of Abram's faith, which is belief in God. Jesus said, have faith in God, and we see here in verse 17, he says, in whom he believed the God who gives life to the dead and called those things that are not as though they were. So the first object of our faith always has to be God, because it is God who rules and reigns and controls and make things happen. So that has to be the object of our faith. The object of our faith is just not a formula that someone gives us and tell us, if you follow this formula, you can get everything you say. Just pray as many times as I say pray. Pray for seven days, seven ways, and then turn around seven times, and ye shall have what you say. Don't believe that. Have faith in what? God. And Abram says, I know. Now, I don't know how, how God spoke to Abraham, and I don't know how Abraham knew it was God, but Abraham knew that it was God speaking to him. And because God says, Abram, Abram was an idol worshiper, a heathen, 
right with the rest of his parents. And God called him and said, Abraham, I want you to follow me. Come and go with me. I got a place I want to show you. And Abraham heard that. Abraham obeyed that. And Abraham said, God is talking to me. How many of you remember when God started talking to you? He started talking to you before you got saved. He started talking to you. That's the basis for your salvation. If he wasn't talking to you, you never would have come to him. You don't know how he was talking to you, but he talks to you. And he talks to everybody a little bit different. But he talked to you in a way that you know that he, he's gotten your attention, won't you? You'll know it. And don't look for God to talk to you like he talked to me. And I'm not going to look for him to talk to me like he talked to you. Look at what we say in verse 18. It starts, against all hope. There's a difference between hope and faith. Hope and faith are related. But hope is the desire for something that might be true or that it might happen. I'm hoping for a new job. I'm hoping for a new car. I'm hoping for a new home. I'm hoping for a mate. I'm hoping for whatever you are. That is an expectation that it might happen. That, that is a desire that you've created. And you said, I want this to happen. And I have an expectation that it might occur. Whereas faith is a firm confidence that it will happen. One is that you're expecting that it might happen. And faith says it will happen. So it says against hope. Against what hope? He didn't have a reason for hope because his, he was already past 75, his wife was old, he didn't have any children, there was no reason for hope. You ever been in a place where there's no reason for hope? Everything seems against you. It seems like all odds are against you, the facts are against you, everything is against you, there is no reason for hope. And sometimes God will put something in your heart that's going to be totally against what the hope is. I remember when we were trying to acquire our property, you know, we didn't have any hope because uh, uh, the, the uh, negotiator or the uh, owner just walked away from the deal and said, we're just not going to sell it to you. But I remember in my heart, my faith rose up and I said, Lord, this one's for you so that God can work it out. And it was two weeks later, they called back and they had, had a change of mind. And hope says, no, don't worry about it. But faith says, stand firm because it will happen because God has spoken it. Faith has to function against all odds and against all hope sometimes. But it says against all hope, he believed. Are you going to believe in faith when hope says you, you have no right to start expecting what you should be expecting? You could be praying for someone to get saved and you have just been praying for them, praying for your son, praying for your daughter, praying for your grandchildren, praying for your spouse or whatever and wanting God to move in their lives. And you're just thinking the more I pray, the worse they start behaving. It doesn't seem like there should be any expectation of their coming to salvation. But let me ask you this question. How saved did you look before you got saved? In other words, the day before I got saved, you never would have thought that being saved was on my mind. And so were some of you. You were cutting up terrible the week before you got saved. You were cussing folk out. Tell the truth. Before you got saved now. Now, you're not doing that now. But before you got saved, you were terrible. How many of you know somebody that was terrible before they got saved? Many people are hoping for things to get better, but hope alone is not faith. And Abraham went beyond hope for the impossible, and he believed that it would happen. And his faith, however, was in the promise that God made him when God said to him, you shall become the father 
of many nations. Genesis 15, 6, the Bible said God took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offsprings be. And Abraham believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. When God takes you out and tell you to look at something. You know what? Faith requires us to just think outside the box, as they say. Because whenever God wants to do something in your life, that requires faith, it's going to always be bigger than what you could imagine. It's going to always be more than what you could grab a hold to. Otherwise, it wouldn't require faith. You see, it wouldn't require faith for me to go in my pocket and pull out $2, because I know I got $2 in my pocket. That doesn't require any faith to do that. But if God is telling me to go out and, and, and pay my taxes and look into the, uh, go out and get a fish, and the first one I get, open his mouth, that requires some faith. But that happened with Peter, didn't it? Peter said, Lord, how are we going to pay the taxes? Jesus said, go fishing. The first one you catch, I thought about that the other day. He said, the first one you catch, open him up and look in his mouth. That'd be enough to pay your taxes and mine. Anybody remember that story? And I thought, now, what did this fish have to do to get ready to pay Jesus' taxes? He had to find some money somewhere. So the fish was working long before he got caught. And God is working things for your benefit so when you are obedient to him, it'll already be there when you need it if you are obedient in faith. Now, Peter could have said, you know, I ain't, I ain't going fishing. The first one I catch, he probably could have said, well, there's one right there. I'm not going to catch that one. I'm going to catch this one. But whichever one he would have caught would have been the first one he caught, wouldn't he? He could have changed his mind. And the Lord said, I still knew which one you were going to get. God has always begun to orchestrate and work things out and he lays it out on a pathway for us and wait for us to be in faith and obedience to him before we can receive the things that he's already supplied for us. One song said he is already provided. And a lot of people haven't gotten what God wants to add to you in your life. It's because you haven't stretched your faith enough to go the direction that God wants you to go. God wants you to make a little left turn, but you want to go right because you can see your way when you go right. You can't see it happening when you go left. I can't see how it's going to work out if I go to the left. But God has all of your provisions stashed along the pathway for you when you are obedient to him in faith. God says to Abraham, go out, look at the stars. And when you look up at the stars, count them if you can. That's what your offspring is going to look like. Abraham, over 75 years old, looked at what already was a seemingly impossible promise. Then we're told in verse 19 of Romans chapter 4, look at what it says. And this is what I want you to know. He says, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was now almost 100 years old. He was 75 when God told him. Now he's almost 100 years old and Sarah's womb was also dead. 25 years after God has begun to tell him that and the clock is ticking, the time is running out, he knows he's getting older and nothing has happened. How many times have we prayed and we waited on God and we just had faith and then nothing happens? Nothing. Nothing happens. It doesn't even look like it's about to start happening. 25 years. Can we wait 25 years? So to become weak in the faith is to allow doubt to cloud and to undermine your belief. That's what being weak in the faith is. Doubt comes in, it will cloud and begin to undermine your belief. 
Abraham was waiting 25 years for the fulfillment of the promise. And listen to this. As far as we know, the Bible doesn't tell us that Abraham saw any miracles from God before there. It doesn't tell us that he saw somebody raised from the dead. It doesn't tell us that he saw God do something just totally miraculous. And he says, oh, I, I saw what God did over there and I saw what he did over here. And I know he's going to do that in my life. No, he just had to hold on to the promise that God made him. Abraham didn't have the Bible. He didn't have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He didn't have the books of the New Testament. He couldn't see the works that Jesus did. He couldn't say, oh, he Jesus did it before. I know he can do it again. He had no record to run on. At least we have the record to run on. We have testimonies of others. But Abraham was the first one that God called out into his family. And he had no record to run on. He had to just hold on to what God said. You know what? When push comes to shove, you're going to have to hold on to what God said too. You're not going to be able to hold on to what he did for somebody else. You're just going to have to be able to hold on to what God has spoken in your life. Abraham faced the facts. But he did not allow the facts to negate his faith. He stood firm in what he believed in spite of the facts. Don't you know your, the facts will fight your faith? The facts will fight your faith. Now, we're not telling you to be foolish by not understanding the facts. Abraham understood the facts. I've heard people just want to be foolish about uh, their faith and they don't want to have a negative confession and all that kind of stuff like that. And they'll be hurting and won't even say they're sick. I say, how you feel? I feel fine. Well, I'm going to say, you know, I'm hurting, but I'm believing for a healing. You know, if I tell you I'm hurting, you might pray for me. If I tell you I'm fine, you may not. So what were the facts? Number one, his body was as good as dead. Number two, he was about 100 years old. Number three, Sarah's womb was also dead. So they couldn't even have an accident. Abraham said, ain't nothing working here. Ain't nothing going on. He look at Sarah. Sarah look at him and they say, nah. There was no excitement in the tent. No turning the lights down low. Barry White couldn't have helped the situation. There was no activity. And Abraham said, this is bad. But God promised. I don't know what's going to happen here. But nothing is going on. No spark, no flame, no smoke. He faced, he said, this is the fact. Nothing is happening. No excitement. No titillation. Abraham said, ain't thinking about moving. All right, well, let me go on. <laughs> but Abraham did not let the physiological facts affect his faith. The Bible said he was still not weakened in the faith. He says, I don't know what's going to happen here and how it's going to happen, but one of these days. Then the Bible tells us that Abraham did not waver in unbelief. He did not waver. He did not weaken in his faith and did he did not waver in unbelief. I want to explain something to you here. He did not go back and forth between his faith and doubt as many believers frequently will do. It was Jesus Christ himself who said, you are the light of the world and a city on a hill cannot be hidden. And then he encouraged the believer to take the cover off of the light so that other people can see how God is working in your life and they will want to go to God and give him glory as well. This is Jerry G. Martin and I'm encouraging you who are believers who have experienced the saving grace of Jesus Christ to allow the light of the Lord Jesus Christ 
to shine bright right there where you are. And we need every light to shine as bright as it can right now to dispel the darkness that comes in the way of violence and anger and bitterness and divisiveness in our country and in our community. If you would like to hear today's message again, you can do so by going to our podcast at The Light of the World Daily with Jerry G. Martin. And I invite you to come and be our guest at The Light of the World Christian Fellowship. We're at 16161 Old Humble Road, right here in North Houston. We meet each Sunday at 10 a.m. Pastor Jackie is in a great series on going back to the basics. For more information, go to our website at lowcf.org. If you're still looking for a Bible bookstore, come to the Beacon Bookstore. It's on our campus right here at 16161 Old Humble Road. If you're looking for Bibles, books, church supplies, or communion supplies, we have them here at the Beacon. Call us at 281-441-2885. Now for the light of the world, this is Jerry G. Martin saying, May the Lord our God richly bless you, and we'll be with you again next time.